Ephesians chapter 5. And as you're turning there, if you'll remember from last week, we looked at the new life that we have in Christ, that there are things that we no longer do, uh, but rather we have set aside uh, those things and we do uh, things that uh, reflect the new life that we have in Christ. And as I looked at this text for this morning, it, it looks very complicated. Um, it, 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 looks, it looked initially to me like something that, well, we're going to have to... Remember last week, if you follow us on Facebook, I said it's going to be hot in the sanctuary, and I, I think we're going to have a shorter message. And that didn't happen. Like, this one initially looked like it was going to be one of those that should have been on and on, and yet, as I began to, to go through it, it, it actually is, it's very simple. Because the Christian life, and what we have been called to do as believers in Christ, is ultimately simple. Now, I don't mean that it is easy, and I don't mean that there aren't times when it is not complicated, but at its core, at its essence, what God wants us to do is simple. And I think that he does that intentionally because he's talking to us. And he made us, and he knows our capacity to understand, he knows our capacity to obey, and so he has made this rather simple. And so, if you are able this morning, I invite you to stand with me in reverence to God's Word as we begin in chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, who has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody 
to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You may be seated. God makes it simple for us. And Paul lays it out here in the first couple of verses. Because, as we looked at last time, we have put off the falsehoods. As verse 17 of chapter 4 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you are no longer to walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In verse 25 of chapter 4, Therefore having put away falsehood, because those things are true, in Christ, we are to put off the falsehoods. We are to put on the truth. We are to set aside the old way of doing things. Then he makes it very clear in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. How do we walk like God? How do we, how do we live the Christian life the way God has designed us to live it? It's by being imitators of God. And he gives us the example here in verse 1 of, of how that plays out and what it looks like. He, he doesn't say be imitators as an actor. If you think about acting, and this term is, is used somewhat in the Bible, in, in acting you are to put on a mask. And in the Greek theater they would put on a mask and go out and play a character and come back. And they would play another character. And sometimes they didn't even leave the stage. Simply by turning around and changing the mask, you were indicating to the audience that you were changing your character. He doesn't say do that. He doesn't say play a part. But he uses this, this term that I think will hit many of us. It will hit home with us very deeply. He says, as children, as beloved children. If you think about it for a moment, especially if you have children who, who are beginning to get older, they're late in elementary school and middle school and high school, you, you begin to realize that before very long, they begin to act like you. Now, we hope that with our children that they all turn out better than we did. Even if we were okay and even if we did all right, we, we still hope that they do better than, than we did. We hope that they accomplish more, that they act better, that they learn from mistakes that they have seen us make. But when Paul lays out for us how we are to walk as believers, how we are to act like Christians, it is by us imitating God. Now, that's a big, big responsibility. As a matter of fact, to begin to even think about imitating God, it, it takes us a lifetime worth of effort. We have to constantly think about how God would act in certain situations. If you remember back a few years ago, there became this craze across churches that people would wear these bracelets and they had WWJD on them. I don't think anybody wears those anymore. You probably find it at a vintage shop somewhere on a clearance rack at Lifeway. But, but they, they had them, right? And, and, and people wore them. I remember wearing them. I had the bracelet and I had the lanyard and maybe the t-shirt. And, you know, we had a little bit of everything, right? And when you went to Bible camp, if you put all that on, you look awesome. 
And anybody who made fun of you at Bible camp for doing that, well, they were lost. And you wanted to pray for them because they just didn't understand it. The unfortunate reality about that craze and others like it is that sometimes it cheapens the fact that that is how we are called to examine all the situations of our life. We are called to look and think and examine what would Christ do. Because if we are going to imitate Him, then we must seek after His mind. We must seek after doing what it is that He has done. And I'm not saying that we become God, that we become like Christ, but rather we are called to examine His life, His ministry, His efforts, and as much as possible make them our own. If you think about it, if we're really good at getting stuff, like if we're really good at absorbing what it is that God has told us, then, then Paul could stop there. Because we would all hear that, we would read that we should imitate God, and we would begin to do so. Our lives would quickly begin to reflect what God has done and who God is. But we do not. We don't get it. We do like to pick and choose. We like to find those parts of God that we really like. We like to bring them out. In certain situations, we like to look at God's judgment. We like to really just make that our own. Look, God condemns that. We get to do that. Other times we... Other times we look at the attributes of God and we, we see God is, is all-knowing and we think that's us. We think that's, that's us. We know it all. Yeah, we're being like God. But the reality is that he doesn't get to stop with verse 1 because we don't get it. Because we don't imitate God. He has to clarify for us what that means. So he says in verse 2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That verse is very important. It'll be important this week in the message, but it's also important next week when we get to the text there. We are to show the love that Christ has loved us with. Think about that. Christ, as Paul is saying here, loved us so much that He gave Himself up for us. The type of love that we are to show in our imitation of God is that love that reflects the fact that Christ has died in our place. You want to look at one of the great attributes of God that we don't like to think about? The one we like to skip over? Our God gave Himself as a sacrifice for others. As a matter of fact, our God gave Himself as a sacrifice for those who were not worthy to tie His shoe. Who were not worthy to look upon His face. Who were not and are not worthy to call Him their God. God, 
through the sacrifice of Christ, gave himself for us in the ultimate sign of his love. The end of verse 2 there refers to this as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. Friends, if we can begin to absorb that and digest that and understand what he is saying when he calls us to walk in love with a sacrificial love that gives ourselves up for others, we can begin to grasp the idea of imitating God. But until we get that, until we begin to wrap our minds around the concept that Christ has died for us, that He has given His life in our place, we're not going to start understanding this love thing. We're not going to get it. Love is not buying your sweetheart a box of chocolates on Valentine's Day. Love is not a romantic date at Olive Garden, or some of you people could probably afford nicer than that, but maybe McDonald's for me and Rachel sometimes. But that's not love. Love is demonstrated in the fact that Christ has died for us. And out of that love, out of understanding that love, then we can begin to see love in the other relationships that we have. We can begin to see love with our children. We can begin to see love with our spouse. We can begin to see love with the people around us in our church and in our community. If we focus on the love of Christ, then we can begin to put the other pieces of the puzzle in place. But until then, it's foolishness. Because it's not going to happen. He gives here four examples that I want to bring out in these verses of what it means when we become imitators of God. He, he lays them out here, and I, I think it's easy for us to get caught up in all the other things. We, we want to look at all the things we're not supposed to do, and I'll be honest with you. If you read through this text, when I read through it this morning, were there any things here that were surprising as far as the things we should not do? They didn't surprise me. I didn't read them and go, wow, I'd never seen that one before. When he talks about sexual immorality, when he talks about our foolish talk or our filthiness, when he talks about our impure thoughts, when he talks about our idolatry, those things are not surprising. Because if you are a believer in Christ, you know that those things are wrong. We know that they are. Nobody has to remind us. Sometimes we act like we forget. Sometimes we give in to them and we think, well, you know, I'm sorry, I backslid, I had a relapse, whatever. We know they're wrong. I think the sad part is that for the things that he says are characteristics of us, if we are imitating God, I think those are the things that may be surprising. Because we don't, we don't commit ourselves to them as we should. Look what he says first. He goes through the list, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor, nor crude joking, 
which are out of place. But look here in the verse 4. But instead let there be thanksgiving. Those things don't seem to go together, right? I mean, most of the time Paul's lists go together very well. You know, you expect here to see if he talks about impurity and sexual morality, he's going to talk about purity on the other side. But that's not what he does. Look, he says thanksgiving. Why is that the contrast to those things? Well, look at it. Look at the list. Impurity and covetousness and sexual morality and filthiness and foolish talk and crude joking... Why is the opposite of those thanksgiving? It's because all of those things are a sign in our heart that we are not satisfied with what God has given us. Why would we covet something else? Because we're not satisfied. Why would we be idolaters? As he says further in verse 5, going back to covetousness, why? Why do we set things up as idols? Why do we set things up as important to us? Why do we put things before God? It's because we're not satisfied with what we have. He says, don't, don't give in to all those other things, some of which are not even mentionable among the saints. Don't even talk about them because they are a sign that you are not satisfied with what you have. Isn't that, isn't that the great sin of our day and our nation, that we are simply unsatisfied? That we want more? That we think we deserve more? That's the truly sad thing, is that God has blessed us so greatly and has given us so abundantly, possibly more than He has ever given a nation in the history of the world. And we're unsatisfied. We're not happy. We're miserable. We think about, I saw just online yesterday a, a pastor who was grieving because a young man had come into his office for counseling and left that counseling session and went home and killed himself. He didn't put why on the internet, but guess what? It probably comes back to not being satisfied. We want something more than we have. When God says, you have more than you will ever need. I've given you abundantly more than anyone else. I have given you, back in verse 2, this sacrifice, this fragrant offering of my Son. Is that not enough? And if for you the answer is no, and let me challenge you that you have never experienced the offering of Christ. You have never experienced that fragrant offering because it is enough. It doesn't mean from day to day that we don't have struggles. It doesn't mean from day to day that we don't fall back into the temptation of not being grateful and thankful to God. But Christ is enough. We do not have to give in to all of these other things. And friends, they are easy to fall into. They're simple. Because they're out there pulling at us and tugging at us all the time. But Christ is enough. And God calls us to be thankful. Look secondly at what He says. 
Beginning in verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. He says, walk as children of the light. Walk as children of the light. See, in the light is found everything that is good and right and true, and darkness is just the opposite. Again, this is not surprising to us. If you've ever read in the Gospel of John anywhere, you see this correlation. We, as a matter of fact, you see throughout the Bible this God being light. God being true, God being transparent and open, God giving us all that we need, God pouring on his gifts to us and evil working in darkness. I mean, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, if you go somewhere that you don't know and you go there in the dark, you go there when you can't see anything that's going on, you can't see who's around you, you can't see what's going on around you, all of us, I think, if we're honest, are a little bit unnerved. Some of you even carry firearms most of the places you go, and you're probably still a little unnerved. But you go down the same place. It's the middle of the day. You can see everything that's going on. You know who's there. You know what they're doing. No big deal. You can see it, and at least if you shouldn't be there, you know that you should go the other way. Light and dark are such different things. It takes just a a speck just the smallest of lights. And you can begin to see things around you. You can begin to see what's going on in even the darkest of places. We are called to walk in the light. We're not called to go and and do things in the darkness. We're, We're not called to be a part of the darkness and what is going on there, but rather we're called to be light. And it's interesting here because he says that now you are light in the Lord. Not not just here you have light, or you have seen the light, or you have walked in the light, but here you are light. In other words, no longer can you go into the darkness and it remain dark. That's our problem sometimes. Is that when, it's the kid's song, you know, Everybody knows it right. I'm not going to sing it because that would ruin everything the kids just did earlier. You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to hide under a bushel and, and all that stuff. Satan's not going to blow it out. None of that stuff's going to go on. Okay, so that's where we're at, right? So often, we who are light, when we go into the darkness of the world, we do everything we can to disguise what we are. We do everything within our power to disguise what we are. Because as soon as it's exposed that we are a light, as soon as that light comes out from under that bushel and begins to shine, what it does is impact the people around us and they get angry. When we go to the places that are dark and we hide who we are, we're disobeying what God has called us to do. 
we're becoming something that we're not. Because as soon as our light comes out, as soon as it begins to expose the darkness around us, because when it shines, it'll shine into those dark corners and into those closets that people want to keep closed. As soon as we do that, people will begin to hate the fact that we're even there. The Gospel of John says that they will hate the light because they love the darkness. But friends, how are we going to imitate God if if we're not showing the darkness that we're light. Think about what Jesus did when he would go and confront people. Yes, he confronted people. When Jesus went and he talked with the religious leaders, when he went and he, he instructed them and he taught them, what he did was take his light and shine it into their darkness and they hated him for it. But at the same time, when he did that, lives were changed. People came to know him. People came to believe in him. Their, their lives were transformed and they became something else. And we are called to do that. We don't become, as he says here, partners with the sons of disobedience. We, we don't become partners with the darkness. We don't try to have empty words, which is unfortunately where so much preaching is today. It has no relevance and it has no power because it's empty. Because they don't talk about the light, but they have become partners with the darkness. He says, take no part, verse 11, in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Again, going back to be imitators of Christ, we do not stand before people who walk in darkness and take our Bibles, smack them up beside the head a couple times, tell them they're going to hell a few times, and call that exposing the darkness. But rather, we do like Jesus did. He went to the lowliest of the low, and he showed them his love. He showed them his mercy. He showed them his grace. He pointed out that what they were doing was not working, and they know that. People who walk in darkness know that it's not working, but they have not seen the light to get out of the darkness. They don't know that there's hope. They don't know that there's another way. They don't know that there's a chance to be free from the bondage of sin. All they know is, is where they're walking now, what they're doing now, what they're facing now. He says, don't partner with them, but expose what is going on. Because look what happens in verse 13 when we do that. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. Awake. They're dead to their sin. They're dead in their trespasses. They're dead in their unbelief. And friends, the only ones who will tell them otherwise is you. Nobody else is going to do it. The world's not going to come in and tell them, by the way, there's two options. Here's darkness, that's what you're in now, and there's this Jesus guy over here, and you can trust in him, and, and that's apparently better and different. It's not how it's going to work. The only hope that those who live and walk in darkness have are those who walk in the light and imitate Christ, and that's what we're called to do. Thirdly, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Think about that. We're told not to be dumb. That's a good way of putting it. I think Paul is maybe getting at something a little harsher here, but we'll self-censor this morning and not say worse. Paul's saying that if, if you call yourself a believer, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, but you're wandering through this life with no direction, with no idea what's going on, with no idea about the world around you, with no idea about people who are living this life, dying without Christ, and spending an eternity separated from Him in hell, if that's you, you've got something wrong. You're not living as an imitator of God. Because God knows what's going on in every circumstance. God knows what's going on in every heart. God cares about each and every person who He has ever created. There is not one person who God has made who He said, you know what, I don't really care about them. I don't really care what happens to them. I don't really care where it goes. And friends, that's from the moment that God gives life until the moment that God ends our life. And every moment in between, God cares about His creation. God was thinking of you long before He ever spoke the world into existence, long before He ever made the first person, long before you were ever thought of. God cared. God was thinking. God was planning. So Paul says here, look carefully then how you walk. Be wise. Make the best of your time, for the days are evil. I remember reading this. I think we were praying back in May. It might have been the end of April for our revival, and we had a group of us got together on a Sunday night and prayed for the revival. And I, I think it was then that I read this text. We live in evil days. Now, it's interesting because when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, they were living in evil days. And it's not as if that day was evil, and then it got better, and then it's kind of got evil again. The days have always been evil. There has always been an attempt by the darkness to overtake the light. A war has been going on. And my friends, sometimes we act like it doesn't matter. We are concerned with everything going on in our world and everything going on, our, on, our, on in our life except the things that are important. We don't care that people are living and dying without Christ. We don't care that there are people who are hurting and we have a word that could encourage and challenge them. We don't care about that. We live unwisely. Wisdom for God is caring about the day that we live in. It is caring about the fact that our days are evil. It is making the best use of our time. He says it's foolishness when we don't understand what the will of God is. What's the will of God? Go back to verse 1. 
Therefore be imitators of God, my beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What is God's will? He wants us to imitate him. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, he creates us what in his image. He wanted us to look like him. He made us above all creation image bearers on earth. We messed it up. Now through Christ, all these years later in Ephesians chapter 5, he's calling us back to that. Imitate God. Look like him once again. Walk like God. Talk like him. Act like how you were created. And so obviously here God is concerned. He is concerned about our day. He is concerned about the evil in our world. He is concerned about the darkness. And he tells us not to be foolish, but to walk like him, to act like him, to talk like him, to do the things that he is concerned about. Now, friends, if you can go through a whole week and you wrote out your calendar, you penciled in everything you were doing and where you were here and where you were there, and you got to the end of the week and you look back of it, and none of it concerned the things of God. What a terrible week it's been. It could have been a week where you made more money than you've ever made. It could have been a week where your business did better than it's ever done. It could be a week where you made more new friends than you'd ever made. It could be the week that you got married, or it could be the week that your child was born. But if you look back and nothing on your calendar reflects the things of God, were you prioritizing correctly? Were you living wisely, or were you living foolishly? Every moment is precious to God. Every moment that we have is precious he says, make the best of time, because the days are evil. And listen, our time is fleeting away. We had my daughter's fifth birthday yesterday. And we were thinking back this week on all the stuff that's happened. And my buddy Marcus comes in from Virginia, and he, he goes to Lily, and he, he's talking to her, and he says, is this the baby? And it's like, well, there's no baby there anymore, but this is, this is her. Five years, nothing, gone. Some of you are saying 10 years and 20 years, nothing, gone. You've made my point. Time passes quickly. And we're called as imitators of God to make the best of those days. Fourthly, and this is the last point he makes here. Verse, seven, or verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for God, for Christ. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why do people get drunk? I think for a lot of teenagers, they're just really stupid. Sorry. It is. You know, you're just, your brain's not developed. You don't know what you're doing. Everybody else is doing it. It's peer pressure, whatever. Some people get drunk because they're alcoholics. I think they have a medical condition and they're suffering. And they need treatment like anyone else. A lot of people go out and drink because they're, they're sad, depressed, they're unhappy. 
alcohol, like a lot of other drugs, just it, it changes the way you think. It, it makes you feel differently. He says, so don't do that because that's not productive. Like it's, it's not, it doesn't do anything productive. It doesn't have any productive value for you. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Get drunk in the Spirit. Now, a lot of Baptists are scared by that notion because if people really got in the Spirit, they might start clapping and there might be a little swaying and that would, you know, somebody might shout and goodness, we can't have that because we're Baptists. Although most of us are wearing shorts and jeans and everything this morning, but nonetheless. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with the Lord. I don't know that he has got in mind one of these Disney musicals where all of a sudden everybody breaks out in a song. If y'all start doing that, it's going to creep me out because it's weird. But it is the sense that when we are speaking to one another, when we are having conversations with one another, the things of God come up. Like the things of God are, are mentioned. Like we talk to each other about Jesus. That's a weird concept in a lot of Baptist churches. We can talk about football. I can talk about football all day. We could start now and wouldn't finish till the, uh, maybe the Super Bowl, if, uh, maybe the draft next year. We could do that. I mean, I've got that much football stuck in here ready to go. Training camp starts this week. It's exciting. But my friends, how hard is it to talk about Jesus with each other? I know it's hard when you go out there and somebody who hates the gospel and they hate Christ and they live in darkness, I know it's hard to talk to them. What about each other? Shouldn't that consume our conversations? I mean, yeah, let's talk about our kids and let's talk about our sports and let's talk about what's going on in the world and the news, but shouldn't Jesus be there? He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Don't get drunk on the things of this world. Don't consume yourself with the things of this world, but rather see that God is good and He has given us much. Because in the end, doesn't it better prepare our hearts for heaven to dwell on the things of God now? It is what we will do for an eternity. And some people will barely get there and be very much unprepared. I think heaven's going to shock some people. Some people are going to be shocked that they got there. They're going to be... Some people are going to be surprised when they don't. But it prepares us for heaven to dwell on the things of God. He says in verse 20, we give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For everything. How do we do that? How do we do that if we're not imitating God? Because here, when we look at Christ and we see that He obeyed the Father perfectly, He goes to the cross. He goes to the cross for us. He goes to the cross. If you look at the end of the Last Supper, which they might have not understood then. Christ knew it, but the disciples didn't. But what do they do at the end of the Last Supper? They go out singing. They go out excited. And Christ goes with them. We give joy for everything. We give joy for 
We have joy and we, we have thanksgiving for the great things like we had at Vacation Bible School last week, but, but how do we examine our hearts and have thanksgiving and joy when we, when we find out those we love are sick? When we turn on the news and we see another tragedy. But if we are focused on Christ, we find joy even in the darkest circumstances. He ends it with submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That in part will lead us into next week's message. But, but we do this. As believers filled by the Spirit, we show reverence for one another. We serve one another. We lift each other up. I've been in too many churches where the goal of most people was to get the furthest ahead. They had a position in mind in the church, as if the churches I've served have been so large that those positions were prestigious. Uh, we're not in that either. I, you know, chairman of our deacons doesn't get any awards from like the state or anything. Sorry, Marvin. Apologize for that. But that's how people act, right? Well, if I'm this, I'm there. I'm important. People are going to have to listen to what I say. They're going to have to do what I want. If I get on this committee or this team or if I teach this class, this is the prestigious class. Christ says those filled by the Spirit will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That will listen to each other. That will love each other. That will care for the needs of each other. That will consider others more important than ourselves. That will serve one another with humility and reverence for Christ. Friends that will serve people who we don't like. That's what he calls us to. See, this is not complicated. I mean, it's stuff you know already. It's stuff that once God dwells in our heart, once the Spirit of God lives within us, I think there are things that we begin to see. I think there are places that we become convicted. I think there are areas that, that God begins to work in our heart. But I think it's also good to be reminded. We are called to be imitators of God. We're not called to be imitators of Billy Graham. We're not called to be, certainly not imitators of Michael Pardue. We're called to imitate God. We're called to follow him. And do so in love. And my friends, when we do this, we will see God do an amazing work in our lives. Because this is God prepping our hearts for everything that he has ahead. He says, don't be foolish, but know the will of God. When we love one another, when we imitate him, he is preparing us for what he has ahead. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that today we can come and gather that we can know you, God, that we can, we can love you. God, we thank you that you show us grace and mercy. And God, I think most of all that you call us to imitate you, that you've laid out your example in your word. You have, you have given us your character. You have shown us the way that you, God, the way that you operate, the way that you think and the things that you do. And God, you tell us to imitate you. God, there is no more perfect example.
God, my prayer is that for each one of us, we would dwell on our need to imitate you. We would dwell on our need to follow you and to trust in you. God, that we would live a life that is pleasing to you and that reflects, God, your character. God, that reflects the character that you have shown us in in dying on the cross for our sin and giving yourself as a, a sacrifice. God, my hope and my prayer is that those here today who are struggling with that, those who are hurting, and God, they, they see the need they have to follow you, to trust in you more, more perfectly, God, that you would, God, you would just speak to their heart. Help them to know your love. Help them to know your grace. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in our life, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone, if you would, to stand. And as the kids are singing one of the songs that I think really spoke to them this week, uh, my hope is that for each one of us, we would know and understand and see that it is so necessary for us to imitate God. If we don't have that as a priority, if we don't see that as a need, if we don't embrace that, let me promise that God is not going to do in our heart all that he could because he is looking for us to be obedient. God desires our obedience. He wants us to follow him. If that's you this morning, would you respond by crying out to God? God, help me be more like you. Would you do that as we sing?